Should we get serious? I, you know, I'm kind of avoiding getting serious because this story really bothers me. And I know that it's, uh, we, we talked about it yesterday on the program. This, in as much as like 30 days, two people have walked away from Cam H. And the Toronto police have had to put out news releases alerting the public that these men have gone missing. And uh, investigators wouldn't say if they were patients at Cam H, but Global News has confirmed that both missing men were under the care of, psychi- of the psychiatric hospital. On July 14th, it was a 68-year-old who went missing. And in the description released by the Toronto Police, Global News said um, he is known to be violent and dangerous. Yesterday, or the day before yesterday, we received another news statement. This time, it didn't say anything about violence or dangerous. Um, It was uh, regarding this man named Kong, who was found, he he committed first-degree murder, but he was found not criminally responsible uh, at trial and so put into the care of um, Cam H and experts. He killed a man with a meat cleaver. And according to this global news story, it was September 14, 2014. He was in his bedroom of his rooming house where he lived near Don Mills Road and Van Horn Avenue when he armed himself with a meat cleaver, left his bedroom, and attacked another man who was there in the common area. When the police arrived, they found uh, that man was dead on the kitchen floor, and Kong was sitting a short distance away when he was arrested. Apparently, two other people were hurt in the attack, and... Two psychiatrists expressed the opinion that at the time of the assault, Kong was suffering from a major mental illness, likely schizophrenia. And after being found not criminally responsible for second-degree murder, um, he was admitted to Cam H's unsecure forensic unit under the direction of the Ontario Review Board. And each forensic patient has a unique rehabilitation recovery plan, which is overseen by the Ontario Review Board. And uh, they also found in the most recent deposition uh, from the Ontario Review Board dated April 18th and obtained by Global News that Kong was granted quite a bit of supervised community access and is still officially being detained at the uh, General Forensic Unit. He was granted privileges privileges to enter the community accompanied by a staff member or an approved person in charge, at times indirectly supervised. Also granted permission to live in the community. We don't know if he did live in the community, but if he did, he had to be in touch with people in charge of Cam H not less than once per week. The guy who killed someone with a meat cleaver, I know he's not criminally responsible, but... When the release went out that he was missing, it was two weeks after Toronto Police Services were informed by Cam H. And there was nothing about him being violent in the release. You think about the density of the area around Cam H. That's Liberty Village, Queen Street, West area. And now we're finding out he boarded an international flight on July 3rd. And uh, the police are working with international law enforcement agencies on the next steps. It's an ongoing information investigation. He's not even in the country anymore. Here to talk about this, trying to make sense of a story that seems just nonsensical. Dave Perry is joining us. He's a former cop and 640 Toronto law enforcement analyst. Dave, this story, it's mind-blowing, really. It's boggling. Good morning, Kelly. Yes, it is. And <clears throat> trying to make sense of it might not be possible. Okay. Especially in a short radio show. But... 
You know, just listening to your introduction and reading what I've read over the last uh, couple of days, the, the system is broke. Something went dramatically wrong here that this guy could walk away from wherever it was he was supposed to be and the Toronto police weren't notified immediately and a, and a public alert, a safety alert didn't go out immediately that somebody who had just recently committed a murder and found criminally non-responsible was walking amongst us. Let's talk about the um, police news release. At the, It says here, they describe him as last seen on Wednesday, July 3rd. This was released on the 15th. Wednesday, July 3rd at 4 p.m. at Queen Street West and Ossington Avenue area. They don't say Cam H. He is described as 5'9", 200 pounds, heavy build, short black hair. There are no clothing descriptions at this time. He has trouble speaking English. Police are concerned for his safety. Anyone with information is asked to contact police. There's no, uh, he may be dangerous, do not approach. Does this um, press release strike you as unusual based on the fact that he killed someone with a meat cleaver, although he was found criminally not not criminally responsible? It does. It's very troubling to me as a... As a citizen, that you know the the actual uh, effect that this guy could have in the public in terms of our, our, all of our safety is not uh, clearly articulated in the press release is concerning. I, I don't disagree that there's maybe a concern for for his safety, mm-hmm. but uh, based on the fact that he killed somebody with a meat cleaver in 2016 and is still in the custody of a mental health facility, would uh, jump out in, in the forefront that the first thing we ought to be looking at is public safety generally. Yeah, do not approach. He could be dangerous. I've heard that before, but there's no uh, there's no mention of it here on this release. Yeah, and I think what's happened, you know, if I could just take a moment, I think we've become almost uh, too adverse to saying anything that may be taken in the wrong context about anybody who suffers from a mental health issue. And of course, I think most of us in society agree that's the, the approach we should have, but there are times when we need to ring the alarm bell, whether it's a mental health issue or something else. And this, uh, in, in, in its face, looks like the kind of situation where there should be alarm bells going off. Toronto Police should have been notified right away. The public should have been notified right away. And uh, who knows, perhaps he may not have made it out of the country if that was done. Yeah, after the show, a lot of times I'll bring, you know, one or two news items home with me and it just becomes, you know, dinner conversations. Can you believe along with the husband and little factoids back and forth? And we discuss, mm-hmm. you know, gnaw on this, uh, this story. This story was the only one we were talking about last night. And I kept repeating over and over again. But why did no one revoke his passport when he was uh, in court, and if you're found not criminally responsible, but you're g- undergoing some kind of mental health treatment, should your passport not be the first thing that they take away from you? It should be, Kelly. And I had cases where I arrested and charged people with murder who were eventually found criminally non-responsible. And uh, we had their passports in our custody, in police custody. So they weren't going to skip out on, on anybody at that time. And I, and I do remember a case where a woman who was in exactly that scenario, but she was a horrible case. She had murdered her infant child and was found criminally non-responsible. And within six to eight months, she was calling me from a mental health facility in Durham region and asking for her passport. I found that very curious. So mm. I got in touch with the caretakers there and spoke to her psychiatrist directly. And he said, yeah, she's preparing for travel because she's going to be released soon. And that, that I know is shocking to us in the public. Um, it was shocking to me back then. It still is today. But the reality is they said that they had dealt with her demons and that she was cured, if you will, and that she was no longer a threat to the public. And therefore, 
um, able to be released back into the community. I'm only guessing that there was a similar uh, progress in this gentleman's case where he was starting to get some supervised uh, public access and mm-hmm. they were talking about moving into some kind of housing that wasn't uh, a complete lockdown. So maybe in their view, they're, they're thinking that he's no longer a threat to the public, even uh, given the fact that he's absconded. They're their belief is that he's he's absconded, but he's not a danger to the public. So that's that's a huge risk to them to take. And uh, what troubles me is that they they sort of put the privacy of an individual like this ahead of public safety, and I find that concerning. So is, is it unusual that he would have access to his passport then? Because we're assuming, I mean, you can't leave the country. You can't get on an international flight without a passport. He had to obtain it somewhere. He had to obtain it somewhere, and let's just hope that it wasn't handed back to him because he was getting public access once again and, and being moved back in, into some kind of a community setting. But who knows? The reality is that he shouldn't have had access to his passport and we're facing the mess that we're facing because he did. So it'd be interesting to hear what that answer is going to be. Yeah, somebody said that they were uh, okay with the fact that, you know, he's no longer our problem, he's in another country. We don't even know what country he's in, which I find slightly odd that no one is saying anything. Hopefully they've alerted, you know, uh, people in the country that he's in and they're being a little more forthcoming with their citizens than Toronto police were with us. Yeah, it's it's really hard to say. I mean... Why is he going to another country? You know, is he is he going there just to escape his issues here in Canada? Or is he has some unfinished business in another country that we don't know about? Or is he just delusional and, and suffering from mental illness like he was in 2016 when he killed somebody with a meat cleaver? It's, it's frightening. It's the stuff that, uh, you know, scary movies are written about. So uh, this is a guy that needs to be found. It doesn't matter where he is or what country he's in. And I think there needs to be a full and frank investigation. The public deserves to have all these answers. Especially since that area near Cam H is so densely populated and we're dealing with two people that were the subject of uh, Toronto police uh, releases that they had walked away this month. Exactly. Alone. Exactly. Do you, and, um, it, sorry, go ahead. In your days as a police officer, I don't know how many, uh, you know, news releases you had to issue for uh, patients at Cam H, but does this seem like it's far too frequent or is this usual? No, I, unfortunately, it's it's part of the, the balance that they try and have in mental health facilities. Uh, you know, the days are, are long gone where everybody was simply kept locked up and couldn't get out. And even in those days when they weren't supposed to get out, they still did. I grew up in Durham Region, and there's a major mental health facility in, uh, in Whitby, and we used to see people, wanderers from that facility all the time, and we'd see poli- police interaction and searches going on, and it's still happening today. People walk out of mental health facilities on a fairly regular basis. They're not quite the same as prisons, um, unless they're for the most severe cases, and th- there are facilities for that, but um, th- this happens on a very regular basis. Well, if that especially happens, Dave... Start get, especially when they start getting afforded a, a little bit of um, supervised access to to doing things in the public, that's when things can really go wrong. Then don't we owe it to the public as a whole that live in the neighborhood to let them know as soon as possible that there could be someone that is potentially dangerous or uh, still could be slightly disturbed amongst them? I agree with that statement. My guess is that uh, at some point, Cam H and or the Toronto Police are going to come out with a statement that says that this person was no longer deemed a threat to the public. Mm-hmm. And that's why the uh, release was not issued immediately. <clears throat> and uh, and that being said, I don't know that that's going to give any of us a, a whole lot of peace. 
Do you think uh, someone will lose their job because of this? You never know. I doubt it. But uh, hopefully there's a full review of this particular situation. And, you know, again, I think we all deserve to have answers as to, as to why he was uh, he was able to walk away and why uh, we weren't notified immediately. And, that you know, I, being a former police officer, I know what happens with, with some um, mental health patients in, in terms of when they're not supervised and they're not being supervised and, and uh, making sure that they're taking the appropriate medications and so on, they can quickly slip into an episode. And uh, let's hope that this gentleman is not one of those cases. One of the things that came up on the, you know, at the dinner table while we were discussing this case, I said, you know, how does someone like this get a passport and go to the airport? Somebody should have taken this passport away, especially when he was found not criminally responsible, but still that he did kill that person with a meat cleaver. We know that, but he's not criminally responsible. Passport goes and you don't get it back for a good long time. My husband went a step further. He's like, well, what about like a secondary no fly list? Would that yeah. be a good idea? Because if, you know, say he his passport, he, it wasn't revoked. Say he didn't have a passport and then he applied for a passport and they had no idea that he had this um, history, uh, you know, this this um, terrible uh, thing that he committed, you know, killing somebody with a meat cleaver. I hate to say it over and over again. It's, it's very graphic and disturbing. But say that, you know, uh, the border services had no idea. If there was a secondary... Um, no-fly list that did not deal with terrorism, but uh, people that were potential risks to public safety out there, would that not have stopped him, even if he obtained a um, a passport from getting onto an international flight? Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, half half the country would be grounded if there was a no-fly list for people with mental health issues, and that's that's just the reality. And I mm. never want to see that happen. But well, I don't think point, he was suggesting that. I think he was suggesting no, no. somebody that had committed a crime that was, Correct. you know, not criminally responsible. But Correct. because how many of those are out there? There's a lot of them. And really? To your point. To your point. Um, yes, I. You know, I. I'd be fully supportive. Of, uh, of some kind of a policy whereby they were put on a temporary no-fly list uh, until the appropriate things were met. And we could all sit and talk about what that might look like for an entire day, but to make sure that they were, you know, fully in- reintegrated into the community, that all of the things that they had to meet were met, and, yeah. and that they clearly were no longer a threat to, to anybody, to themselves or to the public, then, then they could t- be taken off that list. But for people who suffer from mental health issues with such violent uh, consequences, I, I think we need to protect the public first and, and maybe not be worried so much about their privacy until they do what they have to do or until, until they get better. And I wouldn't want to see anybody put on a no-fly list forever unless they, they were deemed forever incapable of flying because of violence or other things. But think about it, Kelly. People with very minor criminal offenses from the, from the 60s and the 70s can't cross the, into the U.S., yeah. And somehow, somehow this guy who committed a homicide and was deemed to be, you know, the ward of a mental health facility got on an international flight. It is quite bizarre. And people say, well, um, you know, there are some people that would take the extreme. Well, he's gone. He's no longer a problem. I argue it is our problem. The whole, the whole, we were, he was in our care. That's still our problem. Yeah, I would agree. It's still our problem. And, you know, the reality is, is just because he's gone doesn't mean that whatever's broken in the system isn't still broken. So, We've got to work backwards, starting with finding him and doing whatever they can do with him. I think it'll be an interesting one. He's—I've uh, never, never heard of somebody being 
brought back to Canada because of a mental health issue. Mm -hmm. Um, I I suppose they could be extradited for being illegal in whatever country they went to, but it would be very interesting, and I think that's probably what would happen. They'd be deemed to be illegal in the country, they would be deported, and the police and mental health officials be waiting at the airport for them. Well, Dave, thanks so much. It is uh, an incredible story and uh, and very, very frustrating as well for people that live in Liberty Village and around CAMH that they just didn't get the information um, in a timely manner. Thank you so much for joining me. Always a pleasure. Cheers. That's Dave Perry. He's our 640 Toronto Law Enforcement Analyst.